to Love Life Church Podcast, and thank you for checking us out. We love God, love people, and love life, and we hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. God is good, is he not? God is good. Okay, so we're going to get back to rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight verse 30, God's word says this, Come to me, all who are tired from carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Place my yoke over your shoulders and learn from me. Who are we supposed to learn from? Him, Jesus. Because I am gentle and humble. Then you will find rest for yourselves. Learn of me. Learn from me. Then you will find rest for yourselves. Because my yoke is easy and my burden light. God makes it very clear that if you want to enter rest, you're going to have to learn from him. Not learn from your neighbor, your wife, your mom, your dad, or, or, or anything in the outward. In that sense, we've got to learn from him. Jesus rested in God. Now, the concept of rest is beyond, you know, taking a nap, okay? See, we need rest because we are under pressure. In this world, you're going to have the things that are going to come against your life, Even in living life normally, you're going to have that pressure because the pressure is trying to determine understanding, answers. Do you have the knowledge? And when you don't, you feel the pressure, correct? Everybody does. Pressure is something that is involved in life. And without pressure, you're not going to grow. Understand that. We need pressure. Now, I'm not asking or believing God that we have to have ugly things happening to our lives, but if we're going to grow, there has to be pressure. Even growing as, as human beings, we don't realize this, but you have pressure of gravity just in your growth. Why does a child crawl and have issues of standing up? It's, it's not only their legs are maturing, but gravity is, is trying to do its work. So the process of the life of a believer is recognizing this full picture of things. We're very good at boxing information and defining it. And that's what's sad because we're losing out on a whole lot of awesome stuff in this word because we do that. You know, I like to share things. I like to throw things out at people and I just do it in just regular conversation. And it's amazing how many times I'll make a comment and people are like going, what? It's almost like they're in their head, they're going, that can't be true. And the only reason why they do that is because we live by assumption, not by facts. Most of the time it's based upon, now assumptions become facts that we think are true, but that doesn't mean it's, it's truth. I can guarantee right now, most of, most Christians, most people are going to go, worship is so important and worship, worship is probably the most important part of when we do music and stuff like that. And it's just, it's a concept of people. Their assumption that this is the most powerful time. See, worship's only commented on 100 times. Praising is 250 times. Does that say anything? Exactly. And this is what happens is we get so connected to what emotionally turns us on that we assume or feel because if we're emotional, it's got to be a God thing. Do you hear what I'm saying? But according to scripture, that's not true. That's not true at all. Did you know it doesn't define worship? The word worship is not defined in the Bible. I know y'all looking at me like, oh my gosh, he's he's gone crazy. It isn't. It isn't at all. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying what happens is we start creating things that aren't even in the Bible. 
Now, is worship shown in the Bible? Yes, of course. Is praise shown in the Bible? Yes, of course. But when it's talking about worship in concept with God, it's not this little box of hallelujah, praise you, Jesus. It's involved in every area of your life, which includes praise. So then you start realizing, oh, okay, this, is, this makes sense. But it's amazing how many things we believe or how many things we think are biblical concepts and they're not. Only because we've just gone through motions or the process of this is how we do things and we start tagging this as if this is God. And that's the problem. We lose the power of what God is trying to get to us because of this stuff. And this is something that we, what do we do? We continue to learn, we continue to grow. But we don't just go through assumption in life. We can't do that. We, it, it can't be, and, and this is what journey I'm on is, is it can't be because this is the way we've always done it. It can't go that way. It has to continue to evolve in what is the revelation of God as we continue on this journey. Because what happens is the more information you get, the greater the picture is, right? Isn't this a natural principle? Yeah, in life, it is just that way. When people are trying to help someone with a truth, you gotta understand something. Helping with a truth isn't tied to the truth itself, but be tied to the person receiving the truth. So you could be a baby Christian and the truth that you're giving must be given to them in a way for a baby Christian. But you can't go to a person that's been in a Christian for years and years and years, and you're not gonna communicate the same way about that truth. But religion does this. God's word says this, and they point and talk to this person that should know it, but then they go to the baby Christian and say, God's word says this, without understanding their lives. And that's where I try to help people when they're asking, how do I, how do I talk to people and I always say this, you've got to understand the person that you're talking to. Yeah, you can talk, you can say, you know, to your four-year-old, yes, and marriage is good and having children. I mean, that's the Bible, right? But not for a four-year-old conversation. But is it biblical? Are there things in the Bible that show it? What about the natural world, you know? You need to understand certain things of how to deal with money and all this. And then all of a sudden you can set a three-year-old down and start explaining to them interest rates. But are interest rates important? Of course they are. But see, we, we, we giggle and stuff and say, that's crazy, Pastor. Then why do Christians tell the opposite way? Because we become Christian, become Christianese and religious, we get to this way. The Bible says. And that's not at all how God teaches or his word was written. We create that. And this is what we have to do. We have to open up our hearts and minds to this. It's amazing how many Christians don't even understand what the Bible even teaches on certain subjects, like grace, and how we box up grace in specific definitions as in these, this grace is this way, and it's sloppy grace, and this grace is this way, and it's this way. And we start defining based upon our doctrine and our experience rather than how does the Bible define it. That's what you have to ask yourself, what does the Bible say? Because what happens is, is people define based upon their emotions, their relationships, and their experiences, not necessarily what scripture says. In 2 Peter, it shows something very powerful that most Christians don't even know, and that is the scripture that says, grace 
and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that tells me something. That grace and the understanding of grace can also be multiplied through what? The knowledge of Jesus. Now, what is that saying? Now, think of it. Don't try to religionize it. Just think about that. Because what happens is we start defining by our lives. But what is it saying? It's telling me very simply and in a common sense way, just like natural life, as I mature in knowledge, my perception of the information becomes greater. A child is the same way. Life is the same way. You have, remember when you were in, you know, I got to be careful on this generation. Remember when you were in third grade and you saw someone kissing and it was like, gross, ooh. In my day, it was, you know, fifth and sixth grade. Do you know what I'm saying? In other words, you see it and it's like, oh, gross. That's the grossest thing. You guys remember, oh, you probably don't remember that day, most of you. Okay, but anyways, it, it, at a young age, at a young age, all right? And so what, what is that? That's the concept and the perception of understanding. But as understanding grows, as understanding in relationships, understanding in, you know, the, what the Bible is teaching, information, the perception becomes greater and the understanding of that act, whatever the act is, it becomes more available because of how bigger it becomes. And what happens is people don't understand specific truths in the Bible that we must understand. Love and grace are the two major keys, the two major ones. Grace is by, you can only be saved by grace. And that came because of God's love. Those are the two important things. If you get those wrong, guess what? Every other thing you build upon is gonna be off. Because no matter what, when you take away love and grace, you have to go to legalism and works. It's the only way. There's no other in-between place. You have to go to, you are doing this and you are doing that. But love and grace isn't tied about you. It's about him. Jesus isn't about your works. It's about him. He went to the cross. He didn't ask you to go. The Bible says, when sin abounds, what does grace do? The Bible's very clear. It's very clear in the Greek language, and it literally gives a picture that's beyond what you could even think in our own heads. But say, for instance, sin abounds to here. In the Greek language, grace abounds this much further. It doesn't even get past it. It blows past it. See, those are things that you have to understand. And why is that important? Because you can look at that and by not having knowledge start dictating wrong information. Well, then I'll just go sin because grace abounds. Exactly. And that's what they said in the Bible. That's what Paul was dealing with. He goes, no, you don't. Because if you do, this is what he doesn't say, but I'm just going to say it. Because if you do, grace won't cover that. And he never said that. He said, if you do, you're going to be slave to those actions. He didn't say grace won't cover you. He didn't say grace isn't strong enough. He said you're going to become a slave to that sin. And why would you go back to slavery? That's what he said. But, but think about it. I was reading that scripture, and it said grace is multiplied through the knowledge of Jesus. And it goes on even further about spiritualism, our lives here, because there's a, it continues down and shows one part of something that everybody wants in life. And that is not to stumble. 
We don't want to fall. None of us do. And guess what? It promises you this if you can abide by something. And guess what it isn't? It isn't, I'm so spiritual. It's, I have character. I love people. I walk in love. I have integrity. Those are the things that make your life strong. Not, I'm so spiritual. I would never, never sin. Uh-uh. And that's what we have to understand. Because a lot of us are trying to chase this weirdness instead of just being honorable. That is so far more important than how long you can speak in tongues, by the way. And why is that? Because what is speaking in tongues to someone that needs Jesus? What is speaking in tongues when your marriage is messed up? They ain't going to fix it. Knowledge will. And acting on that knowledge. And those are the things we have to understand. God wants us to rest, but not take a nap. Everything in rest is tied to, can you trust me? Can you have faith in me? Can you believe in me? We looked at the R of rest, and, and that was what? Routine. Can we create routines that will be beneficial to our lives? We create them that don't help our lives, but can we create beneficial ones? How many, well, I don't want to ask a question because we all will raise our hands. But how many of you messed up and you've walked in your life many times where it was just messed up? And then you go, yeah, yeah, I have, I have, yeah. And there was routines tied to it. And then what happened? You wanted change. You wanted to not be that person anymore. So what did you do? Keep the same routines? No, you didn't. You started changing them, right? And by changing those routines, it helped you start changing how you made choices. So what I'm saying is there are things that we have to do. We have to change routines in our life that will make us better for life, right? They're simple. Doesn't it be difficult? It can be very simple. If you're someone that, you know, you, you'd rather speak negative than positive, start realizing, first and foremost, that's anti-God and Bible, but start realizing, you know what? I don't want to be that way anymore. I want to be someone that builds. Then what do you do? Well, you have a routine of negative, but you can change that. As long as you're breathing, you can change that. So what do you do? It's going to be difficult, but you're going to have to start saying positive things, even if you don't feel it. And this is the catch-22 because we think, well, then I don't really mean it. But that's how natural life is. You are doing things you don't really understand or comprehend, but you're doing things because you're being trained to do it. Ultimately, the feelings will come. So routines are important, amen? And we looked at those things. The next thing is E, emotions. Everybody say emotions. Proverbs 29, 11 says this. A fool expresses all their emotions. A what? A fool expresses how they feel. I can tell you right now, there's probably a million books that tell you that's what you should do. God says, no. Why? Because you know your emotions are all over the place. I mean, you could leave work and give kissy face to your wife and going, I love you. And on the way back from work, you're like going, I hate everybody, including her. What happened? Bad day. Doesn't necessarily mean it's truth, but it's a bad day. Emotions are all over the place. You could be excited for something specific, believing that, oh, it's my birthday, and, I, and I've been throwing all kinds of hints, and man, I know I'm going to get this. And all of a sudden, you open that present, it is nothing what you wanted. 
Now I can guarantee you, you're going to probably be gracious and, oh, thank you. Inside you're going, ah! But if you got what you wanted, what would happen? Party, hugs, kisses, tears. Right? Isn't this true? What is it? Emotions, emotions, emotions. So our emotions are very important. We have to understand when it comes to rest, we have to recognize. Let me give you three emotion truths, three emotion truths. Number one, when emotions are high, wisdom is low. When emotions are high, wisdom is low. When, when emotions are high, perception is low. Am I telling the truth? All right. Number two, emotions are good in control. See, the, the con is this. I'm just emotional. I'm just emotional. No, your process of thought is the only thing that creates emotion. You have emotion, but your emotions can only operate through what are you thinking. You think happy thoughts, you're not going to be mad. You think mad thoughts, you're not going to be happy. Emotions will only, only follow the process of thought. You guys understand that? You have been given an emotion, ability to act and react in a specific ways or different ways. But that's how God created us, the ability to have that soul connection emotionally. But you must understand, every emotion you had is tied to a thought. If you're angry and mean, it's because that's how you think all the time. If you're fearful, it's because you think that way all the time. If you're happy all the time, it's because you think happy. It's tied to how you think. Everybody understand that. Listen, you control emotions. You drive them. Don't let them drive you. Everybody understand that? All right. Number three, you have to control time or you can lose emotion. This is something we don't want to think about, but all right, say you have an appointment at 8 o'clock. It takes you a half hour to get there, and you get up, and you leave at 7, and you have so much plenty of time to be able to get to an appointment. How are your emotions? How is your life? Pretty good, huh? Okay, let's say it's same thing, appointment at 8 o'clock. You know you need to leave at least by 7 to get there in time and traffic and all that, but you get up at 7.30. Now what's just now happened? You are freaking out. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're driving crazy, and you're just, you're, everything within you is not a positive but a negative. That's because of what? Time. Coming to church on time with time is a good thing. Rushing to church is not good. You're like going, oh, get that, get out of the way, Christian. Get him, I'm gonna need a parking space. And then you're moving in and greeters going, oh, good morning, get out of my way, I gotta preach. I mean, get out of the way, I gotta. <laughs> now I'm here at four, don't worry, I got plenty of time. To, I got plenty of time to chill. There ain't no one on the roads when I'm coming to church on Sunday morning. But do you see what I'm saying? In other words, are they not, is not time important when it comes to emotions? Let's get this in Ecclesiastes 4.6. Better to have one handful of quietness, better to have one handful of quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. What Ecclesiastes is saying is, is quit rushing all over life. Quit, quit rushing, quit rushing, quit rushing. You're going to have to have time of chill for your sake, for everybody around you's sake. You can't be just all over the place. So emotions are very important, amen? Joel 3.10 says this. Let the weak say I'm strong. Let the what? Weak say I am strong. He didn't say let the weak let everybody know. Let the weak just let your emotions fly because you're trying to be authentic. 
And I'm telling you right now, this generation that's just going crazy over emotions, they're going crazy in this concept of, I've got to let my emotions out and everybody see them. Did you know there's, a, this is a crazy statistic, but 50% of millennials believe that they should have a movie about their life? That's what the other 50% are doing. <laughs> No, but is that crazy? I mean, remember when big news about you is you've invented a vaccine for polio? I mean, remember those days when it literally you were impacting on what you're doing? And see, what is, what is this? What is going on? And this is what's happening. This, this whole concept of how people perceive life is being distorted. And there's really no context to life. Other than if it feels good, it's everything tied to what the scripture says is going to happen in the last days, by the way, where men and women will be lovers of themselves. But what is our responsibility? Listen, our responsibility is no way to be religious. Our responsibility is to bring life, not scripture, life. Remember, the scripture says the scripture cannot be received or understood if you're not born again. And even then, it has to be taught. So quoting scripture at people is not going to change or help them. First and foremost, you need to understand something. This is like a miracle, but it's not reality in the sense of the Old and New Testament. In other words, they didn't have this stuff. I know people want to try to, they, they, it's because of religion, but they want to drive home this when no one had this at all. But our assumptions are that all Israel had to do this and all Israel. No, at all. No, no, no. You honestly think they had this big machine, they were just making scrolls out so they could just pass them out to everybody? No. No one had this. There was a process of teaching and the handing down of teaching for those that were receiving it. But there wasn't this. And in the New Testament, there wasn't this. It's very important to recognize that because what's happening is, is we're assuming that this is like this, this wand, you know, like Harry Potter stuff. That's not what the Bible shows or teaches. Yes, this information, we're blessed to have it, but I'm not blessed to have Leviticus. There's nothing in there that pertains to me. You understand that? And then I'll go into the New Testament and show you about how God sees the law. And all of a sudden, all that law that we're so demanding we all need to know isn't as important as we thought. Why? Because it isn't. It has nothing to do with us. But I can tell you this, if you want the law, don't mess up on one point, because if you mess up on one point, you mess up on every point. So if you want to be legalistic, understand this. This is what the law states. This is what God said. You mess up on one area that you want to be legal on, you've messed up on the whole law. So my thoughts are, forget the law. Forget it. I don't want that. So why do we have it? Why is it available to us? To be able to learn and see the picture of man's messes and screw-ups. And not only that, but to see analogies and pictures. But don't think that just because David's screaming to God that that is specific way we're to worship or we're to believe in a place where he's going, God created me a clean heart. That's not God saying pray that prayer or even to believe that. That's David making a comment. It doesn't line up with scripture, by the way. But see, because people don't understand the Bible, they just use that and say, see, you have to pray that. Come on, people. Are you telling me you honestly believe stuff like that? 
Because I would have prayed that a long time ago and had a perfect heart. It just ain't working. So what's happening? Well, maybe God, maybe that's what we do. That's the excuse of this Christianese. We are trying to promote this spiritualism tied to more of an Old Testament, not New Covenant. And that's all emotionalism. If you process truth, even in the second Peter, if you guys read, read second Peter chapter one and read one through 10, not now, but or we'll just all sit together and study the Bible. But if you read that, I'm going to, I'm going to show you what you're going to see. You're going to see everything about a life changed, a life impacted, um, spiritualism, promises of God, God nature in you. And it, guess what it's all tied to how many times I can pray a day how much I can read the Bible, how long I can prophesy, how long I can worship and praise God. You're not going to find that anywhere in the Bible. You know what it is tied to? Knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Gnosko, epigonosko, and gnosis. Those different Greek words are saying this. One has to tie to receiving knowledge, just like life, and that knowledge received continues and continues until you have understanding. That's gnosko. That's something that's normal knowledge in Scripture when it talks about knowledge. But not all knowledge is the same one. There's epigonosco, um, which is above perception from knowledge received. So there's epi from above, God knowledge coming down into my life. That would be like spiritual discernment. That'd be a good word, spiritual discernment. The other term is a term that literally means learning through investigation to the place of spiritual discernment. It says, by which having been given to us exceeding great precious promises, what have we been given? Exceeding great precious promises, that through these, everybody through these, okay, through what? Exceeding great precious promises, you guys see that? Okay, through these promises, you may be partakers of God's nature. What? How's that? I'm a partaker of God's nature. Well, they can't, you can't act like we're supposed to be like God. You hear people say that? Oh, they, 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 they just believe they're little gods and all that. The Bible says, not that we're God, but that we're supposed to take on the natural common sense is, if he's our dad, if he's our papa, we should start acting like him. But you can't act like someone unless you have the nature. And we've been given a new nature. That's what the scripture teaches. But notice it says that through the promises of God, you may be partakers of God's nature. You guys see this, right? Watch. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So what is he saying? He's saying by you faithing God and all his promises, you're creating God's nature within you. How? By believing him and his word that what he said he's going to do. You know, the, the, in, in the rest, in the acronym, S is for Sabbath. Sabbath in the Bible is defined in different ways. It's not one term, it's a few terms. Hebrews chapter 4, it says, we have a promise to enter into the Sabbath rest. What is a Sabbath rest in Old Testament? It's God created six days, seventh day rested. Rested from what? All his work, and now he's like resting. Resting because he's all worn out. Oh my gosh, it was so hard going, light be. No, he's resting in the, in the position of faith that everything's done. That's Sabbath. 
Then the first word, Sabbath, in the Old Testament, the first time it's used is when Moses is bringing the children of Israel in the wilderness and they're wanting food. So God brings manna, special God food. And then God says, listen, you guys, I'm going to provide six days of food. On the seventh, you're going to have a Sabbath. But what is the definition of that? The sixth day, he gives double the amount. Seventh day, he's saying, chill, don't work. What does that mean to us? Then Hebrews 4 says, enter into that rest. He who enters into the rest changes the word. It's not the same word Sabbath, and that's what we have to understand. It now goes into a different word that literally means rest from above. How can we have rest from above? Read the context of the scripture, because now what does it go into? It goes into the word of God and believing the word of God. Isn't that interesting? So literally he's saying this, my people could not enter the rest, Hebrews chapter four, because of disbelief. If you want that rest and the rest that I provided for you, it's not a legalistic, make sure you come to church on Sunday and don't work. That's not what he's saying. God made clear on what this rest is about. It's a life of rest. How does that mean? What does that mean? It means a life of believing God and not trying to force things to happen, but believing, standing in faith for all the promises, standing in faith for what he said he'll do, believing God, not, not trying to work and force it ourselves, believing God. God is not, this is not a difficult thing. He wants your life helped change. He wants other people's lives helped change. We're not perfect, are we? But he still wants to work through us. This is why it's so important to read 1 Peter because he shows us what's going to help us not stumble. The Greek language in that literally means stumbling to a place of falling down. God doesn't want that to happen. So how do we fix that? Praying more? Reading the Bible more? No, it said how. Fixing your character, having integrity. That's what, that's what the Bible says. He's saying, be a person of your word. Be honorable. Be a good father, be a good wife, be a good husband, be good, whatever. It's just, he's saying, have character. And that life of character, that life of love, that life of caring for other people, that life of self-control, that type of life, he said, you're not going to fall. You're not going to stumble. Is that awesome? I think it's just wonderful. So the word Sabbath which we need to connect with is not the religious concept of the, of the fairies that said, Jesus, why are your disciples doing this? They should not be doing anything on the Sabbath. And then Jesus blew right past them and said, oh yeah, you guys do it all the time. You just want to point fingers. I can do it, they can't. And so he just blew them away. But what God's saying is, is our life to rest? We got to rest in his promises. Because he goes into the next scripture that he goes into after talking about that, he says the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. The word of God has the ability to divide between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, which, by the way, is the definition of soul and spirit. Marrow is life, right? The bone is, is the part that holds us together. Soul, spirit. Spirit would be the marrow. Soul would be the bone. You see that? People want to go, how do I know if it's God? How do I know it's not my emotions? The Word of God, bring the Word of God. It will help you. It divides, and it says, this is spirit, this is soul. How do I get that? 
God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. How do I know? Is it abiding by scripture? Or you can't find anything in scripture. It's very simple. Listen, life is in scripture. It's all over the place. It's wonderful. Everything about us is, is the answers are there. But most of the time, we want to do our own thing. We don't want to abide by the Bible. We're very good at being selective in our obedience, aren't we? Oh, come on, guys. Don't be churchy on me. You do it all the time. Your boss wants you to do this. You're selective in obedience. If you want to do it, you're like, yeah. If you don't want to do it, come on. This is what we do in life. You all know that. That's why I'm saying. Quit. Don't turn it into Christianese. Live life. We all are that way, Right? I talked about it a couple weeks ago. We, we want to watch the movie filled with, you know, wizards and, 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 and monsters and all this. And Pastor Lala wants to watch Cinderella. Selective obedience. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm going to obey, but I'm not happy about it. But the thing is, is this is what, I mean, I'm just sharing what Scripture shows us. Because what happens is we get so consumed about this, I need this emotion, this, you're going to define God by an emotion. I shared this years ago about music. I can give you a whole song, just beautiful words that'll touch your heart. But I guarantee you, if it is not sung in the music style you like, you could care less about the words. Anybody hate like country music? It's just like, it's like, oh. All right. I can guarantee you that you could have some beautiful, because I know there are some country western songs that are sung in churches. Usually not around here. They're usually like Oklahoma, Texas, things like that, because I've been in them. But they are hard to get hold of because, down, 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 down. Lord Jesus, give my heart. Dream my life, Lord Jesus. But then you put it into a style I like. I'm like going, oh, Jesus, Jesus, coming to my life. Why? Well, then how do you find that emotionalism as in spiritual? Yeah, come on. It's ridiculous. I like this one. This one's one of my favorites. And I'll end with this one. I just love this one. You ready? How about this one? You might think this is crazy. Or you might think there's some truth to this. But I'm going to blow that truth away. Lord Jesus, change me. I repent of my sins. God, change me, change me, change me. And we think that's so special. And there's nothing nowhere in Scripture anywhere that ties that act to change. Nowhere. Now, you might be still be going, oh, I don't know. That sounds like they're really wanting God and they're wanting. I just said there's nothing anywhere in the Bible that will show you that that's what's needed for God to change you because God isn't going to. <gasps> How dare you? I'll give you a perfect analogy. Here's my dad. I have not obeyed him at all. At all. He's told me to do this, take care of this. He's now come home. And this is something that, as a kid, I have not been happy about because he, he's, he can be really mean, tough dad. But the thing is, is I'm in rebellion. And I went to youth group or kids class, and they said, honor your parents, and they said, do this, and now I'm coming home, and he's now, we're at the church, and I didn't obey him again at all, and my heart hurts because I know I'm in trouble, and I know I should have, so now I'm going to go to my dad. 
Dad, please forgive me. Forgive me, Dad. Dad, please forgive me. Now, most likely, what is he going to do? Okay, I forgive you. He's probably going to connect to that. But how about this statement? Dad, change me. Change me, Dad. Please change me. Change me so I won't ever do it again. Change me. Change me, Dad. What is he going to do? He's probably going to get the bot out. <laughs> now, I'm asking you a question. Me crying out for change is true from my heart. But do you honestly believe he's going to go, yes, you're changed? No, what is he going to do? He's going to say, son, this is how change happens. Thank you, Dad. I appreciate the love. You guys hear what I'm saying? Yeah. All right, now let me explain something to you. Everything in the Bible for change requires you to receive knowledge and walk knowledge. Jesus said this, those who love me or are operating at a high level of connection with me are those that beg God to change. No. What did he say? You hear my word and you do it. Nowhere in the Bible ever, ever does it show the position. You know why this is crazy? Or we try to think it's so, such a move of God. The reason why I can speak so boldly about this, because I was one of those fools that used to do that. And I can tell you right now, I could be for a group of hundreds, and I've been before a group of thousands. And I can get everybody crying and throwing their hands up in the air at the altar. Not because I'm speaking truth. Not because I'm trying to truly give them God's word, but because I know that's exactly what will motivate people to have an emotional breakdown. And I assume that was a God thing. But I can tell you, all the years I've done ministry, every single person has cried and said, God changed me. Didn't have change after the fact. They had an emotional time. They cried and whined, but no change happened. How do I know that? Because how in the world could you think that this is about God? Because would you not without tears? If this was a God thing, it would be all over Scripture because I know he wants me to change, which, by the way, everything tied to change has to do with receiving knowledge and walking knowledge, but we'll just push the Bible aside. I would ask instantly, God, change this, and I'd never have a problem again. Why? Because he would change me. But wait a minute. What if people are tying that God is changing them? Well, then how come he's not changing everybody? See, what you're doing is you're literally blowing away scripture after scripture after scripture to tie it to an emotional belief that carries no Bible weight. And it's sad because there are groups out there that love this type of stuff, but not truth. And the only thing you're going to get freedom from is just like a parent would to their child. Son, daughter, you want change? This is the process. Be obedient. Hear my words and do them. That's how change happens. Not screaming and crying out, God, change you. Oh, that's, that's a very cool look of you want change, but you just eliminated the Bible. Why do we need a Bible? We can all just say, God, change me. Just, it's crazy. I want change, but it's going to take some work. It's going to take my will. Is not God's will for all to be saved? Then why aren't we all saved? Why? If it's God's will. See, we don't want to see those scriptures because we have an issue with it. But is God's will God's will? Does he want everybody to save? Does everybody get saved? No. No. But it's his will. 
That's the thing we've got to look at. Pay attention. What does it say to you? It says, he's not going to override your will. If you want to be dumb, you're going to be dumb. If you want to be good, you're going to be good. If you're going to be bad, you're going to be bad. But it's going to be your choice. And you can't blame someone. You can't poke fingers at your wife, your husband. You know, I know they can instigate, but it's still your choice. We make our choices. And we have to understand that. And I can go through hundreds of scriptures concerning what I'm telling you right now. The key is, is are we willing to receive and walk in it? Or we just want to do this emotional, fake, religious game. I want the truth. And only the truth and applying it will set you free. And that's what we're going to do. Thanks again for listening. To hear more encouraging messages just like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you've loved what you received, please consider rating it and sharing it with your friends and family. For more information about Love Life and getting connected with us, go to lovelife.church. We love you and are believing God's best for you.